we tend to forget that you know roughly half of world population is still unconnected or underconnected. We would like to be more inclusive and include more of these people as part of the connected world. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Hello, I'm Nicholas DeMille. Welcome to episode 13 of Science Town. The United Nations has laid out 17 sustainable development goals for 2030 that, among many other things, aim to reduce inequality. A team of global researchers is working to connect the unconnected, a topic that has come into harsh relief with the global COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, we talk to a few of those researchers about the future of connectedness and how it could lead to essential advancements in telemedicine, remote employment, the sustainable management of our global resources, and so much more. The goal is to try to achieve, or at least try to do quite a bit of progress uh, towards these uh, sustainability development goals, in short they are called SDGs, by 2030. And 2030 is aligned with the deployment of SIGGI. That's Mohamed Slim Alouini. He is a professor of electrical engineering and the associate dean of the SEMSI division at KAUST. So there is this hope, there is this kind of, uh, let's say, uh, wish in a certain way, that 6G, contrary to the previous generation of wireless communication system, will not solely be driven by financial and profit uh, kind of consideration. The hope is, and the expectation is that uh, SDGs will be driving, at least in part, the evolution of 6G. Does, does G stand for generation? I'm not sure. Yes, I'm, yes. Yeah. So, like the G stands for generation. Essentially, uh, things started uh, in the 80s. So, 1G, if you will, or the first generation of wireless communication system uh, were deployed in the 80s, and they were very basic kind of uh, system that were providing essentially analog voice kind of communication. In the 90s, we moved into what we call 2G or second generation, and then the gap there was to move to digital voice. And towards the end of the 90s, we were able to enjoy, uh, let's say, SMS and email exchange. Then 2000s came, and then essentially uh, we start enjoying mobile internet as well as positioning as part of our uh, kind of uh, cell phones that are becoming smarter and smarter. Then it's the era of 2010 that came, and then we start enjoying, like, what, let's say, mobile broadband communication. And now we are in the 2020s. So now, with the start of deployment of 5G, there is a lot of kind of uh, discussion in the research cycles talking about what 6G is going to be. So, who is this group of people that? starts this conversation and sort of where does that conversation happen? So it's like within, you know, like, uh, uh, like you know, IEEE, uh, uh, you know, uh, there is a lot of kind of uh, societies like IEEE Communication Society, IEEE Vehicular Technology Society. Uh, and within IEEE, there are a lot of, uh, let's say, committees like Communication Theory Committee, Wireless Communication uh, Committee. 
so uh, and these are essentially researchers coming either from industry or from academia and this starts in the form of workshops uh, these days webinars let's say or virtual conferences but essentially it is like gatherings where people present results vision we are uh, you know we are at the very early stage of 6g so a lot of it is speculative at this point yeah. and actually there has been over the last six months many uh, vision perspective you may call them speculative paper of what 6g might be should be will be you know so everyone kind of has his own twist on that So, so tell us about the hyperconnection of the connected. What is there that's left to be done, and what you know? What are the, the possibilities as you see that? Uh, let's say now that we talk quite a bit about uh, health issues and uh, uh, e-health uh, kind of aspect of things. So, um, uh, you know, you you want to avoid doctors being infected. Yeah. So essentially, you want robots. Uh, to interface with uh, patients, you do, you cannot afford to make mistakes. You know, in some of our networks now, if a mistake happens or we call it an outage, at the end of the day, you know, a packet is dropped and, uh, the, you know, the packet, uh, the next packet can bring you the information with a certain delay, right? Uh, but uh, if you are uh, doing remote surgery, you cannot afford to do that. You know, like basically everything has to go through correctly without any delay. Another important actually aspect uh, where uh, this ultra-reliable latency communication comes into play is also everything that is autonomous. Autonomous car driving, autonomous flying now, vehicles, all of these rely also very reliable communication for control and operation and also uh, very low latency. You want to avoid, of course, accidents and that can, uh, any again, outage here can lead to catastrophes and accidents. So you want your network to be super reliable. What are the technological leaps that are necessary for these types of things to happen? So if you want to improve coverage and increase capacity, there are a variety of um, you know, technologies that are being pursued. Uh, if I want to summarize, I mean, there are many, but like some of the activities we are going here at KAUST, there is this concept of smart radio space or intelligent reflecting surfaces, which is uh, instead of uh, going the same way we did uh, uh, in the previous generation, which is essentially relying on the so-called densification of the network, Densification meaning by that increasing the number of base stations per unit area, okay? And that comes with extra power, extra complexity of deployment, and so on. The idea here is to choose uh, in a certain configuration some buildings to act as reflecting surfaces. So basically, they will be covered with these new metamaterials that will allow to reflect signals uh, into corners where basically there are some not spots. So this technology will come at no at, co- at no extra power uh, you know cost but will allow you to improve your coverage to improve uh, basically or to reduce your not spots within a certain coverage areas another important technology that's being pursued is what i call extreme bandwidth communication is to go or to migrate towards the higher end of the spectrum 
so beyond millimeter wave, you'll hit terahertz band. That's a band that has not been used traditionally for communication. It has been used for imaging, sensing, but not for communication. But that's a band that has uh, some advantages. There's a lot of bandwidth available, unlicensed, and it can provide a super high capacity links. And if you keep going up, as far as the spectrum is concerned, you will hit the optical band. And this is actually an area that is quite mature. There has been a lot of work on optical wireless communication. This is like fiber over the air transmission. So you want to use a similar kind of concept, but over the air. So you'll have lasers or LEDs. Instead of transmitting or sending information over a cable or over a fiber, there'll be kind of sending information over the air. Is this um, is some of this referred to as Li-Fi? So yes, Li-Fi is one is one aspect of it. Is when you use LEDs uh, in a typically indoor environment, but not necessarily only indoor environment, for both illumination and communication. So you use light to illuminate a certain environment, but then you can use uh, that light intensity that is modulated at very fast pace that kind of is not perceived by the eye to also transfer information. So that's Li-Fi. But there is also other techniques, like we call that free space optics, uh, which is essentially using lasers, not LEDs, to kind of transmit at super high speeds over the air. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Science Town, brought to you by KAUST. We see there's three dimensions where the needs appear. One is the, is the economic values. That's Yap Vandebeek. He's a chaired professor of signal processing with Lulea University of Technology in Sweden. The other thing is, is the safety for people. And the third one is actually this inclusion, how to get societies to um, basically be, be equal. And, 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 and connectivity there is close to becoming a human right. And it's also instrumental to these, to these sustainable uh, development goals by the United Nations, right? So it's, it's really, it's not, uh, even though it's not explicitly mentioned as one of the goals per se, it is obvious to most of us that it, it's, it's a necessity for many of these uh, goals to be to finally eventually be achieved. And with regard to environment, one uh, future application area of 6G will clearly be the support of um, autonomous mobility, auto autonomous transport. Cars nowadays, even though cars technologically could go out on the roads fully autonomous by themselves without having any, any connectivity for the sake of, of driving, they will need connectivity for the sake of like monitoring. And basically, if you then, if you would live somewhere beyond this coverage, uh, you won't have access to this these autonomous uh, this autonomous driving in, you know, developments in any in any sense. So I think this six G will will also be a, a necessity or support for these autonomous uh, all kinds of autonomous mobility. Well, and and obviously supply chain and supply chains being able to reach into rural areas is 
perhaps more on our minds now than ever, given given the needs of of being able to ship things. Uh, you know, yes. whether that's for frontline uh, people, whether that's for just people needing food and clothes and and the things they need for mm. daily life. Um, yes, there is there is a good thing here, and 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 a fortunate you know circumstances that with this autonomous transports we may see a development where autonomous transports first show up in rural and, 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 and remote regions rather than in cities which has been typically for, for new technology uh, the other way around right we, typically what we have seen is that new technology it starts where people live densely and then slowly by slowly slow uh, uh, these, these developments tend to leak out uh, further and further away into the countryside uh, and, and benefit people further and further away from the cities up to the point where the market says, okay, this is where, where, it's not, uh, uh, where it is not uh, beneficial anymore or economically beneficial anymore. And so for many of these technological advances, there appears, like what I used to say, a line in the forest. Uh, and if you live within this line, close enough to the city, you, you benefit from these, from these, um, uh, te this technology developments. And if you happen to live beyond this line, you're out. Right? This is creating this this division. Uh, and this is typically with all it's the market forces. They are market forces are typically tied to the cities. But here we have a potential that these market forces that the world will be upside down. That this autonomous transport will first appear for these the supply lines for the transporting needs of people in the rural. that appear, intelligent reflective surfaces, for instance. We have these new uh, massive MIMO uh, antenna technologies. The big question here is to how do we get these uh, technologies to work for the benefit uh, of the rurality? And uh, that's what my students look into. So, uh, for instance, many people in, 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 the, in the research community, they're looking now into these reflective uh, surfaces, basically surfaces that, that you can you deploy around base stations to steer radio waves by changing the surroundings around base stations and, and, and also around the receiving uh, you know, mobile phones. And uh, much of the research on these topics, it's devoted to how can we improve connectivity in urban environments. So uh, one of my students is looking into the opposite question, you know, uh, are there any ways that these reflective surfaces could benefit communications over larger distances and to improve capacity, improve data rates, improve reliability and in the end coverage uh, of, of a radio um, base station. Another study that we, we are recently started with is trying to use, let's say, mathematical models or mathematical tools to quantify how uneven coverage is distributed, radio coverage, digital coverage is, is uh, distributed over a country, over a region. When you, when you have the ambition of connecting the rural, you want to first 
be able to measure to what extent is there a digital divide, to what extent is there a problem, and quantitatively. So we are looking in measures now, collecting, uh, collecting information from the operators, uh, and quantifying how how connectivity uh, and and cellular coverage is actually distributed. Yeah, right. Like it, um, in in a way, if you could, as you said, quantify um, the relative impoverishment of connectedness for many of these rural people, uh, you can make that case to regulators, to civil society, whoever, to to start stepping in and directing uh, the development of better networks in these mm. rural places. That's interesting. Yeah, when we t- when I talk to regulators, it's not that they that they don't want, and it's it's on their table. You know, this these these connectivity issues. That's on that's that's in the heart of their of their of their work, right? And it's not that they do not want to do it, but they ha- they don't have often the means to properly address these things. So providing these kind of measures, dig- measuring the digital divide, if you want, uh, that gives them uh, concrete uh, instruments to, to implement these, these regulations properly. Excellent. Thank you so much for speaking with us. It's been a real pleasure. Bye-bye. Cheers. Science Town, brought to you by Kaust. My name's David Gallimore. I'm the head of um, UAS Business Solutions for Airbus. We are looking at um, UAS products um, for all of our, UA- our UAS um, portfolio. One of the key aspects of that is obviously Zephyr, our high-altitude um, platform, um, which provides satellite or terrestrial-like connectivity, um, the ability to connect people directly or people like um, as a pseudo-satellite, and we actually call it a pseudo-satellite, able to connect them direct to device or backhaul services, um, enabling connectivity primarily in rural locations. We see the key for our HAPS platform to enable um, enable connectivity to those that don't necessarily um, get connectivity, and that can be for a number of reasons. That can be because um, of geographical constraints, that can be economical constraints, because there's not a a solid business case for high capex um, to put the connectivity into those areas. Um, because we're a low capex and uh, platform, you don't have to put infrastructure in. You can fly as effort over an area and deliver services direct without having to be terrestrial, put terrestrial infrastructure in. We see it's key to enabling that um, divide and connecting those areas in, in the rural communities that don't necessarily have connect- connectivity today. So, so describe um, so that people can sort of get a picture in their mind. Describe what this UAV looks like and sort of how you landed on that as a solution. Um, so we looked at uh, obviously Airbus Defence and Space. Look at um, satellite. Look at aircraft, and we um, we looked at um, the area of um, solar powered long endurance flight. And the, and the way to get solar-powered long-endurance flight is to look at the stratosphere. So the stratosphere is about 20 kilometers. Um, you sit in the stratosphere and you stay above the weather, so you stay above the clouds and you stay above the wind. And, and that's key. Um, and that's key to be able to have a, a very light, very efficient platform um, that doesn't have to withstand the winds and doesn't have to fight against the winds, so using more power and energy against the winds. And obviously sitting in the stratosphere, as a solar electric platform is perfect because you're above all the clouds and stay in that weather. 
The challenge is to make sure that you've got that that, that um, technology enables that persistent flight, and that persistent flight is to actually to stay in the stratosphere. It's essentially circling over a space to continue uh, giving coverage. Is that how that works? It can do um, um, a no- number of modes of operation. It can act like a, a UAV or an aircraft, and it can fly from one point to another and, and keep flying, but it can also um, station keep like a satellite and can can act as a pseudo-geostationary satellite and stay over one, posi- one point and, and, and orbit over one position of the Earth for, for a long period of time. You, you said um, you said it's about twenty kilometers up, and that yep. it takes a while. Are we talking half a day to get up there? Like, how long does it take to get up? About daylight day, probably about eight hours, um, depending on um, depending on the, on your conditions. But about eight hours to um, to reach the stratosphere, um, and then it will stay in the stratosphere for months on end. Right, and then it's programmed to just come back and land in a field somewhere, basically, or. Pretty much, you can land on an airfield, um, we, um, or you can land in a field. You don't know if you need huge infrastructure. You don't need it's a very slow flying, lightweight platform, um, so it doesn't need a huge um, kilometers worth of runway. It just needs a short patch. So yes, it can be, it can, it can be a field. It would, it's, um, and, and, and at the end of its mission, um, you would just return it, and that's the key aspect to um, the Zephyr platform. It's, it's reusability. is simplicity because simplicity saves weight what you don't want to do is put unnecessary complexity in so if you put an undercarriage in and have to propel it it just adds weight that's not needed when it's in the stratosphere so the key is to make sure that you um, have the minimum um, capability um, to be able to launch it so those five guys um, they literally walk forward there is some videos on 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 the internet on youtube that shows them, them launching the aircraft they literally um, walk forward, and the aircraft um, will fly from will fly um, from there as as they let it go. Yeah. What is a proposed sort of market or customer for this? Um, is it a municipality? Is it a um, who who is it? So it's it's a pro, uh, it's, it's a profit in, across institutional customers, military customers, and commercial customers in the institutional space. Um, you're looking at institutions such as um, air, air traffic control that are, that are looking to enable um, um, aircraft connectivity to um, to increase, um, say, capacity in some of the airlines. In the um, military space, it's clearly a platform that can see, sense, and connect. So it can see people, it can sense, and it can connect people. Um, so it can it can um, add safety and bring safety. Um, to your troops and reliability of connectivity is, is one of the keys that we see um, in the military space and and branching from that and uh, is is connectivity and we see platforms to be able to connect people that don't necessarily have connections today because there isn't a, it's difficult to connect them for whatever reason as I said geographical yeah. or economic reasons and we see one of the that's one of the differentiators um, from it we um, as I said we work in the space industry and we work in the aircraft industry. We see that this complements all of those, all of those. As as you drive and as the 
the drive for data um, increases, and it will increase, as you've seen, as, as it does. Um, not any single technology will be able to meet that demand. You need multiple technologies, and this is one of the streams of technologies that we see that will enable that and, and complement all of the other, the terrestrial and the satellite, and, and the aircraft connectivity as well. We're talking about in this episode, we're talking about the development of 6G technologies. Uh, some of them include telemedicine, connecting the unconnected for the purposes, as, as you're saying, of vital services, of remote health care, of a number of other things. How do, how do you yeah. see this fitting into that, that space? So we say, yeah, as a, as, a step, as a step, we're developing the platform and the platform will develop and, and, and mature over time as well but in those areas one of the key aspects that we see and one of the key um key areas when you talk about telemedicine is is reliability high quality of service absolutely and that's what we're developing and we're developing a platform with um, that satellite like um, quality of service but also low latency and how you can deliver services with low latency and and, and we meet the 5g and then the, and, and then the 6g demands of latency because we're so much closer to the earth in effect we're 20 kilometers away or much closer to that terrestrial quality of service um, in terms of latency than we would be a satellite. Quality, uh, How, um, what, what's the what's the jump up to the the sort of lowest flying satellites? So the lowest fly, flying satellites are um, yeah, are, the, are your Leo constellations, um, and um, they are um, three or four times further away. So an interesting sort of niche area that hasn't been really filled uh, to this point, I guess. Uh, we, see it, uh, we see it as untapped potential, which is why we're focusing on it. it um, one of the keys, obviously, for, for Airbus is sustainable flight. Um, so electrification of flight and, and sustainability is one, of our key, is one of our key pillars. Wonderful. Thanks so much for chatting with us, David. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture. Science Town. Hello. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. How are you? Is this okay? Yes, I am fine. How are you? <laughs> fine. How is Glasgow? Yes, Glasgow is nice and uh, <laughs> sunny, but in lockdown. <laughs> That's Mohammed Ali Imran. He's a professor of communication systems at the University of Glasgow. This problem of uh, people left over from this digital revolution is not just a problem of developing countries or specific countries. It's even in most advanced countries, there is this issue because uh, there is a digital divide between urban and rural centers. So rural communities are uh, less densely populated and their population centers like towns and villages are spread over much larger geographic area as well. So that produces a big challenge from business model point of view for mobile network operators to provide coverage in those locations. So that's why billions of people in the world will not be able to enjoy even 4G or 5G service as well as people in urban city centers are doing. So that, that's why it is not just a challenge of uh, trying to connect a uh, few millions or a small population or just a continent. Some people 
refer to Africa as a continent which needs uh, better digital connectivity. Uh, th that's not just the case. It's uh, really providing uh, across the board uh, fair access to digital connectivity. There is a very good reason for this motivation or objective. It's not just to provide them internet access, but as you know, gradually uh, digital connectivity is becoming one of the major and economic enabler for the betterment or uplift of any community. Most of the things, even you mentioned, uh, hyperconnectivity will enable telemedicine, for example. So access to those services, or for example, in future, uh, governments are moving towards e-government systems, or uh, many post offices are now closing down and uh, people are relying more and more on digital communication. So all these things really make uh, it an essential requirement that the connectivity level of, or the quality of uh, connectivity in terms of latency, throughput, reliability of the system is, uh, if not exactly the same, very similar uh, all across the geographic coverage of any country. So no utility is free. So we, we don't provide water, electricity, or any other utility, at least in UK, free of cost, uh, subsidized by the government. That does not work like that. So. There are suppliers which supply this service. Now, if the cost is too high uh, for digital connectivity in rural areas, because it costs more to mobile network operators to provide that access via hardware mechanisms or via satellite or, or via maintaining and operating digital infrastructure in those far-off places, per, uh, the cost per unit of, uh, per person uh, the cost in uh, any monetary uh, terms like bonds per person or dollars per person is very, very high for mobile network operators in providing coverage to rural areas. So they will charge you more if they're providing you a high quality, high level service like 4G or 5G or 6G. Yeah. So that makes it very unfair to people who live in those far off areas. It becomes a postcode lottery for digital connectivity. feel that there is a cost um, to not connecting or, or not improving connections for people who are lightly connected in these rural areas? Yes, definitely there is. And uh, now digital connectivity is becoming uh, an enabler of economic growth of any specific area. So governments will have to pay later if they don't pay and invest now. The reason is because there will be uh, an eventual and inevitable uh, flux or influx of uh, people moving from uh, rural areas to urban areas because there won't be enough opportunities. COVID-19 pandemic recently has exposed this need of enabling people to work from homes, right? So this this is uh, this is an I would say uh, the only silver lining in the sky that I see in COVID-19 pandemic is that maybe after this is over, 
people will start thinking and realizing that how important it is to enable um, vast majority of any society to to be able to continue working from home in 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 any case of any future pandemic like this or any other event like this. If um, the development of this technology reaches a point where it is the medium through which we earn a salary and educate our children and access medicine and a number of other things. Um, does this become a, a human right in a way that, that needs to be protected for all? Yes. Uh, I think this question, um, I, would, uh, I, would, I would answer this question based on uh, the original definition of human rights. So, for example, human rights has a, a specific example could be freedom of speech. Right. How can you say everyone has freedom of speech if their speech cannot reach uh, as many people as other parts of the society? Right. right. So you 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 would not be providing an equal level playing field to all uh, humans in this world if they are not equipped equally in terms of the access to technology, access to uh, digital connectivity. So uh, from government point of view, uh, equality, diversity, and all, all those aspects would also come under question if uh, we are uh, intentionally or unintentionally not letting uh, a specific community or specific part of the society not able to access uh, the uh, services that government is providing. Health is another uh, aspect to this, as you rightly said. So telemedicine is becoming more and more rampant and widespread. And uh, if we cannot provide equal uh, health care to all parts of our society, then uh, we are discriminating indirectly. Thank you so much for speaking with us. This has been a, a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much for your call. Okay, take care. Be safe. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks to everyone who took part in this episode. Science Town is produced by Mark Bowes, Alex Arias, and Julie West. I'm Nicholas DeMille. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.